The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rights. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at the Bird Rights and get all the latest on your Pelicans at thebirdrights.com. What's up, Pels fans? The OGs are back. You are listening to the Bird Calls podcast. Now, this is yet another special two-part podcast. We'll begin with our very own lovable goons recapping last night's loss to the Raptors before speaking with Robert Flom of Clips Nation about Saturday's home matchup with the Los Angeles Clippers. But we are starting off part one with our fearless leader and the rightful king of thebirdrights.com, Ali Cosell. What's up, dude? Good morning. Good morning, Preston. How's your world? Uh, it's good, man. I'm coming live from my closet with all the lights out. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. As usual, off to a bang. <laughs> what about you, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm loving this weather. I don't know. Have you guys had that uh, change in the season yet? Because we just dropped down at 65 yesterday, and this morning, it's gorgeous. I love it. I mean, it's great over here, too, but in Orlando, we still get a high of about 80. So we still get that uh, lovable little patch of uh, pit sweat every day. But uh, it definitely has cooled down from the the hundreds that it was about a, a month or two ago. And, of course, Ollie doesn't travel anywhere without his bodyguard. What's up, Kevin Berrios? How's your weather? Oh, it's good. I'm 72 degrees in my house. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Follow me at Preston Ellis, at Ali Cosell, and at Kevin B for Balance. Let's get right in here because I know you guys have a lot of takes on this. The Pelicans lost a wild one last night in Toronto, 122 to 118 on a day Ali dubbed opposite day in his recap. AD and Boogie were held to 38 points and 22 rebounds on 36% shooting. But Drew Holiday was the hero with 34 points, 24 of which were in the first half, a career high. He also had 11 assists. Etwan Moore had 13, 5, and 4, while Dante had 11 in his first double-digit scoring game this season. Uh, let's see, uh, Kumar got me on Twitter for saying that they combined for a negative 25 rating in the first half, but uh, that's not how that statistic works. But they were bad in the first half. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. The Pelicans were unable to stop DeMar DeRozan, and AD never really got going. Boogie turned into Sacramento Boogie in the first half, I thought. I don't know about you guys, but he had seven turnovers, and he had a tech from the bench in the second one. Honestly, he should have gotten it seconds earlier as he just couldn't stop yapping. He was in, inviting the Raptors to the net on defense, and yet with his NBA leading 11th double-double and the Pelicans' insane shooting of 54% from the field and 42% from three, they still almost won. There were 22 lead changes, including seven in the final quarter. Ollie, what did you think of the Pels' performance last night? Uh, I'm frustrated just simply because you mentioned a lot of names that had been struggling like Cunningham and Holiday and they have these awesome breakout offensive games and then you got the bench throwing in some support the threes were dropping and then you had Boogie who kind of has always been Mr. Dependable this year along with Anthony Davis and outside of maybe that Orlando game Cousins really has been putting forth a wonderful effort but tonight man he just couldn't get anything going right and it seemed like the more um, he tried to do something the further he 
dig himself in the hole. That's where he either commit a turnover, take a bad shot. And it just cascaded in this tidal wave of just nothing but ugliness. And, you know, it kind of ruined everything else that happened around him, I thought. Um, he's just got to simply – those frustrations are definitely real, and every player gets them. But somehow, someway, he, I, I guess I can see what the Sacramento Kings fans have always warned us about, and is that Boogie is his own worst enemy. And we kind of always knew that. But when you see it up close and in person, it's really his play that – kind of brings up, up all these issues you know it's not the fact that one ref doesn't give him a foul call or another I think it's just a combination of all the things and um, you know honestly it prevented us from getting a very winnable game um, it, it's a game they got to get AD and DeMarcus are, are to be relied upon everybody knows that and for him just uh, I don't know for the first three quarters just be completely out of it yeah, man it's a killer some fans look as a positive but I'm sorry I can't look at this game but anything as a negative overall, um, they they, sh they should have won. That's the bottom line. These are the type of games you're going to hate to look back on and see that L in the column. What about you, Kevin? How do you feel about everything overall? Well, um, first off, I want to say congratulations, Preston, because you haven't made it, so you've been subtweeted by Kumar. And I would say it was an interesting game. Um Prior to tonight, to that last night's game, it looked like uh, Drew Holiday should have been playing overseas in the in, in a foreign country, and then he goes to a foreign country and plays All NBA. So it, it was wild, but um, it was great to see him break out of a slump. Hopefully, I mean I don't expect that kind of game from him every night, but hopefully he gets back on track to um, you know being the player that we were all hoping he would be offensively. It's also good to see Dante contribute. Um, Etwan was was pretty good. Um, I thought early on that rotations on defense were really late and really sloppy. You know, obviously, I thought early on Cousins just his head wasn't in the game, and then that led to stuff that caused a lot of his frustrations. And I thought, you know, I, I said it earlier in the game. I tweeted it out. I, if I'm Gentry, I'd pull him for for a couple of minutes settle him down you know but um I thought he his minutes could have been managed more he should have been yanked a couple of times when you know multiple possessions in a row he basically caused um us to fall behind and um you know like Ali said it's one of those things we knew this about him coming in and I'm not going to be mad at him I mean we knew this about him that but there's going to there's going to be way more games that we win because of him than we lose because of him so while it would be great if he could get that sorted out, I put more of the blame on the coaching staff for not yanking him, trying to settle him down, or to try to put him in situations that get him more comfortable. I mean, for instance, like when a guy's frustrated and he's living on the perimeter, either jacking up threes or driving into turnovers consistently, why not get the ball out of his hands and get him in the post and feed him in the post where if he misses a shot, there's a good chance that he's going to get a rebound, get the rebound, or he's going to get fouled and get to the line, and those sort of things start to get him more comfortable, get him more engaged, maybe get him out of the funk that he's in. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously he has to take blame for a lot of this loss, but I think the coaching staff didn't manage him well um, in this game. But Kevin, I mean, they, they, Kevin we saw the eight-man well, rotation, you know, and obviously, I guess. The coaching staff doesn't trust that, who else like, they've gotten to bench. Well, the thing so is, who do you like, put in for him? Last night was the first night we saw a lineup w without two bigs in that was being productive. And you could have gone back to that. And I, I can't exactly remember all five people, but Boogie was on the bench. AD was playing center. I believe it was uh, Darius, um, Darius, uh, Dante, Jameer and Drew were, I think that was the five on the court, and they went on a 7-0 run. Um, you know, they could have done more stuff like that. You just need to settle them down, whether, even if it is put, put in check in there for a minute. I mean, it was a negative with, with Boogie in there anyway, so it's worth trying something to get him settled. I'm not saying yank him for the game. I'm just saying take him out for a couple of minutes, try to get him settled down, draw up some stuff for him to get into the post, and then try to try to reset, you know, his night. But um, it, it just no. I'm completely happen. with you. I just wanted to ask that question so our fans understood 
what else could have been done because I agree letting him consistently try and play through these episodes so to speak may not be the wise decision uh I don't think yeah, last year just he seemed to have problem, the same problems and so this year I don't know I've already seen like two or three games where it's kind of been a bigger issue so we can't I this better not become a habit bottom line for me you guys are listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network. I am joined by Ollie and Kevin. Uh, let's dive a bit deeper on Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins before we dive into the eight-man rotation. Uh, we were out-rebounded last night, 48-38. to 38. Alvin Gentry said, off our turnovers and their second shots, they ended up with 38 points. That's a lot of points to give up in an NBA game. We didn't come up with any of the 50-50 balls. Uh, I thought the biggest play of the game was DeRozan's drive to the basket. He falls in the lane and then some kind of way gets to it uh, to Kyle Lowry for a three-point shot. That's a possession that we should have had. At worst, it should have been a jump ball. And on top of that, Ollie, AD and DeMarcus Cousins were both quiet in this one, combining, uh, like I said, for only 38-22-7 and on 37% from the floor and 21% from three-point range. Do you think the Raptors have figured something out in regards to slowing Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins down? Or is this simply just a matter of DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis both being off on the same night? Yeah, I think that's – I'm leaning towards the second part. But I wouldn't say that so much as um, Anthony Davis was off. I just don't think they got him the ball enough. Um, In the first part of the game, they seemed to try and get him uh, some passes on the move. But, God, they were terrible passes. They never had a chance. You know, you could see – I was screaming at the TV as soon as it would leave a player's hand like Boogie or whoever else would try and dump it in AD, and it just never had a chance. So those are automatic turnovers. <laughs> so I, Anthony Davis, to me, just didn't get the right touches in the second half. It seemed like they stopped trying to go to him uh, too many times, and I think you and I even had an exchange as to where DeMarcus was consistently still getting the touches either on a post or at the top of the key. Why not start those possessions with AD getting the ball? You know, um, Serge Ibaka did do a good job. And AD was being shaded with double teams, as Joel Myers mentioned correctly later in the game. But, you know, you, you can circumvent that. You just simply have AD come to the ball. You can run him off the screen. You, you can get him a way to get the ball. And I just feel like they didn't do enough to get him going when they needed to. And Cousins was honestly off his game. you see it any differently? No, I mean, I agree 100%. I don't think it's necessarily anything that Toronto did. I, I, also, I also agree that, you know, early on, some role players were hot. They were riding that. You know, it was good to see them let Drew uh, thrive when he was when he was really hot. Um, and I just I just felt like Anthony Davis became sort of the forgotten man a little bit on offense. And then Boogie, you know, that was one of the reasons why I wanted Gentry to pull him from for for times was to get AD going because AD he wasn't playing badly. He wasn't being shut down. He just wasn't getting opportunities. Um, and uh, I think, you know, they, if Cousins was in there, they could have used him more to set some screens to free those guys up and let those guys get the offense instead of taking the shots that he took. Um, you know, he he took a yeah. ton of threes that were just really bad. And, you know, I think I, I, I think it was uh, – I, I don't know the guy's real name. <laughs> He's a, a, He writes for Bourbon Street Shots. He's 42 PhD on Twitter. Um, I think he uh, – he had said something about there. We only took two mid-range shots all game, and I would have traded, you know, a ton, like at least half of Boogie's five-point, I mean, uh, three-point attempts for um, for sixteen-footers, you know, from him. At least, you know, yeah, DeMarcus they had to go in five threes, five threes in that last quarter. And you're right, most of them were not really good looks, and he was struggling. And I agree. And you know what? Right, I pulled it up in front of me because you brought up an interesting point. The small ball lineup with AD worked. And you know what? I'm looking at the numbers. It sure did. It was Anthony Davis, Dante Cunningham, Drew Holiday, Darius Miller, and Jameer Nelson. And in six minutes, they they posted a positive net rating of 10.5. They shot the ball extremely well. Uh, Defensively, you know, we pretty much suffered all night with any combination against the Raptors. But you're right. Seeing this, um, perhaps, uh, perhaps I'm beginning to agree with you that the coaching staff may have needed to make a move because DeMarcus, I don't know if you know this, Kevin, he played all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. So on top of pushing this guy that's not playing so well, and you know what, he did start off the quarter well. I remember him making a couple smart drives to the rim, and I don't think he committed a turnover. But, again, that's just simply asking too much of the players. So let's talk a little bit about the eight-man rotation. Um, we're here in the you know, first part of November for the most part. 
And here is the NBA head coach using just eight players in an NBA game. Do you think that's the wrong strategy all the way around, or do you think see it as a necessary evil until we get some of the players back? You know, I, the only criticism I've had ahead of the rotation last night was just that of not, you know, not yanking Boogie from time to time to settle him down and, and let the other players play. Um, but it is, it is an interesting problem because, I mean, look, last night Ian Clark got a DNP, and, and now we're talking about in a couple of games Rondo's coming back. So, you know, how does this all trickle down, you know? Um, it, I was curious to know if there was any reason given why Ian Clark didn't play. I mean, I'm not necessarily making a criticism there because the guard, all the guards that played played very well. Um, it was just interesting, and it's just, it just makes me wonder what's going to happen in the next couple of days when uh, next couple of games when Rondo comes back. Yeah, I'm curious too because I was wondering is it just a hot cold issue or was he actually sick? Because you're right, Kevin. That, that is strange that for a team that lacks shooters to suddenly go away from a guy who is considered to be a big part of this rotation going forward. Um, so you know, hopefully, I'll be able to get some answers today later in practice. Uh, when I get the chance to talk to Alvin Gentry about that. But you know what? The rest of the role players, though, did their part, Kevin. So moving forward, do you think this is something that we can honestly maybe hopefully start to rely on, or was this a one-game flash in the pan? What did you see that makes give you hope that maybe they can sustain this or vice versa, that, that you know, it was, you know, just a one-game performance? Well, I mean, we've seen Drew Holiday take shots before and just not go in. But the thing that encouraged me about the, this night for him was that he was attacking. He was driving in the lane. He didn't look hesitant. He was getting his, and he was he was set. Like, he, there was no overthinking anything. And if that can carry over, I don't mind if the shots go aren't going in. They will eventually, you know, but – it's a, you know, it's a mind. It's always been a mindset thing with him for me. Like I just never felt like he possessed that super alpha alpha gene that you needed to be a a, a scorer or an attacker like a Bledsoe or a Tyreek Evans or a John Wall. You know, and that was always my my concern with him, and especially when they were trying to cast him in this role of the four and two guard, which I just never thought he had the DNA to do. So it was it was exciting to see him do that and I hope that that carries over like I think Jamal had said it, I think it was after the Memphis game he was we were on a podcast together and uh he was saying like you know if, if I saw him driving in and taking charges and things like that I would rather that than see him be passive you know I just I want to see that aggression from him and I want to see him attack and make plays for others and he was great last night and you know Dante has We've been saying that we think that it was just a slump. I mean, a guy doesn't go from shooting 40% from three and always being extremely consistent on the college three to just not being able to shoot the ball all of a sudden. So I don't expect him to have the numbers he had every night, but I think, you know, it's good to see him getting back into form. I thought Etwan had a pretty good game. Um, so all of those are good. Jameer has been solid since he's been here. Um, so, I, you know, all of that is encouraging because you know that Anthony Davis is going to be great most, like, 99% of the nights. Cousins, same way. He's going to have a couple of nights like this. We know we knew that coming in. Um, it's just a shame that it wasn't managed better or we just didn't get enough breaks for us to overcome that despite um, having everybody else playing better. Yeah, I don't want the listeners to – think that we're getting down on DeMarcus too much because you're absolutely right, Kevin. He, the, the guy is human, so we can't ask for him to be oh, yeah. crazy productive and human just like Anthony Davis. Can't ask these guys to bring it every night. What you do hope to see, though, and I think we're trying to make that point, is if the guy is not on his game, and it shows when he's driving out of control of the basket, committing turnovers, or just simply not getting back on defense, and I swear, I don't know how many times DeMarcus was laying on the ground. I was watching the Raptors come down and have an easy score on the other end, whether it was an open three or something at the rim. Um, that just hurt. And, again, that that is the sole reason why I'm kind of pinning this on DeMarcus because if, if you want to be a winner in this league, and, and obviously he does, he wants to make the playoffs, 
He's got to just learn to manage his frustrations better. But I think I, I'm I'm coming around to your point more as to where the coaching staff should have helped him in that respect. Well, anyways, we've I think beaten this this topic enough. So let's move on. Let's let's talk about their upcoming schedule. They're six and six. Uh, they finish off the road game, uh, or excuse me, their four game road trip. Uh, well, I mean, they come home with a three and one record, and sure, it would have been nice to win all four games, but. Let's face it, I don't think any of us thought that was possible before they started the trip. So coming home with three wins and beating the bad teams is a big deal. Uh, we've seen last few years, Kevin, this, this team couldn't even beat the bad teams. Or getting road wins was extremely difficult. So to see them check off those two boxes in the early goings is a promising thing. But again, looking ahead, now the schedule begins to get a little tougher. Um, this Saturday, they've got the Clippers. And then Monday, it's another easy game, the Hawks. But after that, it's going to be a string of really good teams where it's the Raptors, Nuggets, Thunder, Spurs, and then get a little leeway with the Suns, but then right back to it with the Warriors, Wolves, Jazz, um, Portland Trailblazers, Warriors, Nuggets. I mean, it's, it's going to be the meat of the Western Conference. So heading in into this uh, next few weeks, what are you looking for from the team considering they'll have a lot of home games? Do you expect that they can continue to play well, or do you think that we don't know anything yet simply because of the competition we've played? Um, how are you going to approach these next two weeks, Kevin? What are you going to look for? This might sound weird, but like while I'm happy that the that the role player has stepped up and played really well in this game, it would have almost been better, in a sense, if they would have put that on pause for a minute and let the bigs carry them just because there's about to be another adjustment period where Rondo comes in and that might throw everything out of whack. You know, if these guys are now getting comfortable and then you add in another piece, people are shifted to different roles, getting different minutes, playing with different people that could send them back, um, you know, to, to the bad play that we had been seeing. But, um, I mean, I watched the Clippers game the other day. I'm not scared of this Clippers team at all, honestly. It, I mean, I saw Patty Mills getting rebounds between uh, DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin. Uh, I mean, of course, they were playing the Spurs, but they were playing the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard. Um, and they just didn't look that, that good. And if uh, Gallinari can't play and if Beverly can't play, I mean, if we, I don't see a chance that we lose that game. Um Gallinari has always killed the Pelicans, and I'm I'm really hoping that he's not in this game. Um, Amen. <laughs> I take him out of there, and then, you know, and even Austin Rivers is apparently banged up and might not play, which probably means more Lou Williams, which might be a bad thing for us if we don't guard him. But um, we'll see. But I, I, I think that's definitely a win. And I, I think, you know, like I always said, like I've been saying, if – if we get, you know, 80% of peak Anthony Davis and and DeMarcus Cousins and just two average two guys contributing at an average level, we should be able to hang with anybody. So I'm not too concerned. I, I have, like, a, I have a really good feeling going forward, you know. Another thing about last night, just to go back to that, is there were a lot of, like, weird loose balls that just bounced the right way for the Raptors that made a big difference. I remember, I can't remember who it was, but somebody stripped, stripped one of the Raptors players and the ball just bounced right back, right over to another guy for a wide open three. You know, those kind of things were happening last night too. So it's not all just, uh, you know, a, a boogie head and effort thing too. There was just some weird things going on in Toronto. Yeah, no, I agree. One play immediately comes to mind when you keep saying that is I can't, I want to say it was a block. But either way, there was a ball that careened off the uh, Raptors uh, goalpost and it somehow bounced around and found a wide open Raptor in the fourth quarter for a three. Yeah, it was those type of daggers that bothered me too. It seemed like we, we were not able to come up with the offensive rebounds. And that's another thing we do have to quickly mention. The Raptors had 10 offensive rebounds and the Pelicans, I think, only had three or four. And, uh, the difference in that in that was 19 to four second chance points in favor of the Raptors. That's a big killer too. Um, yeah. And you know, you, you're right. You can't pin this all on Boogie, AD. But anyways, just wanted to touch on that. But let's move on. You brought up an interesting point about Rondo possibly coming back, and with the guys kind of getting used to not playing with him, suddenly that may be another jolt to the system. 
Uh, personally, I think Rajon is going to do nothing but help, especially the role players. When you have two high-usage guys, I feel like, they have a very difficult time. The rest of the cast, that is, has a very difficult time finding their places within the offense, and we've seen that. You're only going to get limited shots, most of these guys, so you're going to have to make them count, and I just feel like a lot of them haven't been 110% perfect shot for them as to where they catch it in, in rhythm. Um, there's nobody around them for eight feet, or they, they're not getting the easy ones to kind of get them going. I think Ronda's going to help specifically with that, so I'm looking for the role players to actually maybe continue coming out of their shell so to speak and um playing better now where i think it's there may be trouble with integrating um up such a big high usage floor general on the floor is actually with our two bigs because suddenly somebody's not going to be touching the ball as much um, i'm assuming it's going to be demarcus he has started with a lot of possessions that and i guess drew holiday uh drew holiday will probably shift back you know exclusively to playing the two um but again i can see all three of these guys well, maybe not for Anthony Davis, but for DeMarcus and Drew, they'll probably face the biggest adjustments with Ronda coming back simply because they're not going to be able to start a lot of the offense, break down their man, you know, attack all the weaknesses. Instead, they're going to be asked to run within the system, try and find their shots on cuts, um, you name it, within the offense. Do you see anything similar? I mean, you just mentioned that Rajon Rondo may be a tough integration for the whole team, but who specifically do you think can he help? Or who will he hurt? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I think it's a bad thing that he's coming back. I just think that you know, naturally, you insert a new person into the lineup and people shift. You know, one of those guys is not going to be a starter anymore. Um, minutes are going to change, so it's going to make some changes at first. And an adjustment periods, a lot of the time, you know, set a team back for a second before they can take a bunch of steps forward. And I think Rondo coming back is going to is going to push us a bunch of steps forward, which is great. I think one thing that you'll see, which would have been great if we had him last night, is you wouldn't see him allowing DeMarcus Cousins to take the ball up the court. You wouldn't have seen him allow him make those drives at the turnovers. You know, I think having him on the court, he would have demanded the ball coming out of his hands and uh, take it over with, and, and, you know, that coach on the floor to try to settle him down and try to create easy buckets for him to get him back in the game, get him get him out of his head. Um, so those kind of things, will, I think he's going to be great for Boogie. You know, it's going to reduce his usage. You know, I've said one of the one of the issues that we play in these guys so many minutes and at such a pace. And like, look, last night that game was a crazy pace. It was like. It was like a 33 RPM record played at 75 RPMs. You know, it was just, it was blistering at moments. And it's tiring. And especially if you're mentally fatigued, then you're really going to be physically fatigued. And one of the reasons I think DeMarcus Cousins wears down towards the end of the games is because he's also always bringing the ball up the court. Whereas with Rondo, he could make a quick pass to him if he gets the rebound. Rondo takes up the court. He can take his time a little bit getting back. He could be the trailer that shoots the three, or you know they could set set up and run some stuff. I I think it's going to benefit him a lot because it'll save a lot of his energy. Yeah, yeah, I hear that for sure. Um, Cousins, as we know, he seems to have his stamina issues seem to crop up before anybody else's. Yeah, that that that's definitely something we've seen. I think noticed in the first twelve games. So moving forward, yeah, that would be great. Take off some of that workload. Um, even though I know Boogie welcomes it, there's no way he'd ever back down from a challenge. You're right. He needs a Rondo type that he trusts, he believes in, and looks up to just to yank the ball out of his hands and put him in the place, tell him where to go on certain possessions. Um, that's what, At least that's what the hope is, and we'll see how it works out. But, again, I want to kind of circle back to how I first mentioned the eight-man rotation. Do you have a Kevin a preference for whether Delt Dem should either go ahead and try and find a re interim replacement for Josh Smith as a third big, or would you like to see the coaching staff keep you know go back to throwing Sheik Diallo or maybe even Josh Smith back out there because let's face it, Davis and Cousins they they can't be asked to play 40 minutes a game. Um, it's too much of a pounding. AD says he's young and he can handle it, but we all know that injuries crop up when players tend to not have enough rest. And we're, we're just playing with fire, as we've seen. This, this, it's not been a good thing for this franchise um, to take risks and to just, you know, 
having that injury hex, it seems like is hovering over the city. So they sh- they shouldn't tempt fate. Um, which avenue would you prefer to see the uh, organization take? Um, well, I've, n- I've never, I wasn't a fan of that Josh Smith signing. So I would love for us to add somebody else, but what's the cost of doing that? That's the issue. Um, how do you do it? I don't know. I know um, David Fisher is like really high on trying to get to get uh, Sullinger over here from China, um, which I mean, I wouldn't mind that experiment so much. I always worry about him with his weight, uh, especially coming to New Orleans, you know, um, and his back problems. But, uh, you know, he he's worth a try. I mean, I would trust him more than than, um, than Josh Smith, and you wouldn't have to give up a pick or anything to, to audition him. Um, but the other thing is, like, uh, you know, getting Rondo back allows you to do some other things, um, you know, Dante can become that backup big um, coming off the bench now because you can either play three guards to start or you can move Darius up to the starting spot, which I know a lot of people say we need Darius to be a scorer off the bench. But the thing is, if you put in Darius up there and you got Rondo and you got Holiday now, Etuan Moore is going to the bench. So you have another guy who potentially can shoot and score on the bench as well as Jameer Nelson and Ian Clark. So I don't necessarily see that as a big problem. I think that's another benefit to Rondo coming back, but um, we definitely need to figure something out with the backup big situation because right now, Josh Smith and Diallo aren't the answer. Um, Diallo will be, I believe at some point, um, but he, you know, he's just too raw still. Um, although I would rather him out there than Josh Smith because at least, you're getting crazy energy athleticism, you know, that can walk into some, some opportunities. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's, that's definitely an area of weakness. I mean, if you can get somebody, if there's somebody that can fit into a trade exception that you can trade, uh, trade, uh, and not give up too much, I'd be fine with that, but I just don't know who that guy is right now. Yeah. The, 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 the Pelicans are kind of hand tied, you know, they're going to have to send out some salary before they can bring somebody in. And I just don't think it's worth using a future first-round pick on a backup big. Because let's face it, you still want AD and DeMarcus to play, what, right around 35, 36 minutes. So what does that leave you? Roughly about 24 to 25 minutes total for a backup big. You want to spend a first-round pick, let's say, on Greg Monroe to bring the guy in who then may walk anyways in three months, four months' time when the regular season ends. No, I think yeah. I'm with you 100% and Fish for trying to get some more interim type of guy in, uh, like a Jared Sondra or whoever else is available, because they've got to be smart about their future assets. And we've got a real definite weakness in terms of having a, just a bigger wing out there. We've got all the guards and we've got guys that can play, you know, a lot of positions, but you still need that big third wing that I I don't think – you know, Dante Cunningham can handle. Honestly, I saw him get beat off the dribble quite a bit again last night. It's been a consistent team throughout this season so far. And same thing with Darius. He's just not a lockdown defender. Um, you can go small, have Holiday, have uh, Tony Allen out there, even each one more times. But it just seems like it'd be a wiser choice to chase that uh, small forward, a true small forward by league standards. So, yeah, I think we're in agreement there about, you know, having Del Demps just kind of be patient. Don't chase the big names like Monroe. Cause it's just going to cost too much. Um, um, yeah. The only guys so, that I would, the only guys I would really target and throw a lot at, at the moment uh, to get, you know, as, as I said before, is Rodney Hood, you know, who could be a long-term solution at the three, you know, you could swing between absolutely. the two and the one. Um, so there's that guy. And then another guy that, I've always been kind of intrigued by, but I've been watching a bit more lately. And I would, uh, I, I don't know if you could get him, um, but uh, he would fit into a trade exception is uh, Kyle Anderson from the Spurs. They got, he, he can play four positions and he defends. He, he's a great passer and uh, you know, he can score when he looks to score. He, he's not a great jump shooter. Like he doesn't, he doesn't shoot the three very well, but he has a, He's a decent mid-range game, and he's great at attacking the basket. He has good. He has a good handle. Um, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's he's like six eight, and 
I think I want to say like 260. So he's a guy who could play power forward, small forward. They they use him sometimes as a two guard. Sometimes they let him run the point, you know. Um, so he's a dynamic guy. Um, so he's the kind of player I think would be interesting on this roster because he can fill multiple holes. He comes in cheap. He's still young. Um, he's more of a, a set up his teammates kind of guy before scoring, which wouldn't, uh, you know, bother to, um, you know, the the dominant ball guys that we have at uh, center and power forward. Um, but I think he he could be a nice piece. But I, I just don't know that the Spurs would look to even move him for, you know, more than a first round pick, you know. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. He sounds positively heavenly, but you got to think if he's useful to Pop, no way Pop's going to let him go easy. So, yeah, the cost would probably be too high there. But listen, I want to circle back to also something you just started saying about when Ronda does come back, about possible lineup, starting lineup combinations. Who would you honestly, Kevin, prefer to see out there alongside Drew and Rondo out there on the wing? Would you want to keep the status quo with Dante Cunningham, or would you want to go, you know, have Alvin Gentry go in a different direction? Simply because what we're talking about right now, that we don't have a serviceable backup big, I would take Dante out because he can play that role and use him more as the backup big. Um, I think I would give it to Darius for the moment and see how it goes. And if, if that's not working, if your bench production is hurt, uh, then, you know, then try a three-guard lineup, try Etwan out there, but um, or or Tony Allen. And not, no, probably not Tony Allen because you got Tony Allen and Rondo together it would be a little bit of a problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I would try first. I, I would try. I would give Darius the opportunity to give him the opportunity to lose the job basically, and let Dante be that backup big that we that we miss. Man, we've been in agreement all night, or I'm sorry, all day so far, and, and I agree with you here. Yeah, I absolutely think they should go ahead and take Dante Cunningham out simply because his best role for the team going forward, at least for until we get other guys back, would be to be that third big off the bench. Um, one thing I quickly want to mention is I think Sheik Diallo is still going to be given another chance. The fact that the G League has already started play and the Pelicans haven't sent him back down seems to me is that they're still working with him, and they still think there's hope to integrate him soon back into the lineups. Whether it happens or not, you know, who knows? It's all going to depend upon his progress and if he can make the coaches happy in practices by picking up some concepts that he needs to learn, especially defensively. But I, I don't think we've seen the end of Diallo. But, again, until that happens, of course, Cunningham, he's got to be relied upon as that third big. So, yeah, in the same order, I would like Miller be given the first shot. If not, then give it to each one more because you can't put Tony Allen and Rajon Rondo. It may work at times, but you know what? It'd be a bloodbath. That, that'd be the only way they would win. It'd be like a 90-80 type of game. Um, and let's face it, Allen still, I don't think, his conditions were where it's at. He seemed to indicate that it's going to take a lot longer than we all assumed, just more than a couple weeks for his body to get right. At least it's nice to see that he really does respect um, his body at his older age, and he's he's trying to be careful with it because he has suffered mm -hmm. a lot of ticky tack and other injuries over the course of his career. I don't know if he's ever even played a full played the um, 82 games before. So yeah, that that that's important. You got to keep the guys healthy. So wow, I think we've pretty much covered everything else. Is there anything else you want to talk about that we sh we should? No, I mean I just was gonna say like uh, when you were talking about Diallo. One reason, I mean. Not that I'm disagreeing with you at all on him. I think like they do believe that he will be a contributor relatively soon, and I, I'm hopeful of that, and I think he will be too. But one reason that they can't send him to the D-League right now is because Agensa and Ashik are both out. You know, if something were to happen to AD or Cousins, they're going to need him. You know, they need somebody with, with size and that rebounding ability because Josh Smith isn't really going to give you that presence. Um, so. It's, I think it's a lot to do with necessity as well at the moment. Yep, that's it. That's a very good point. Well, guys, I think we're going to end it here. Preston Ellis, as you probably heard, had to leave us um, suddenly. I guess work called. You know, he's got a beeper just like a doctor. So <laughs> he had to take off. But it looks like Kevin and I did a pretty good job. So please listen to us, rate us, and uh, catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening.
All right, welcome to part two of our Bird Calls podcast. Now we are previewing tomorrow night's home matchup with the Los Angeles Clippers, and we are joined by Clips Nation's contributor, Robert Flom. Thanks for joining us, Robert. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Did I get your name right? Yeah, perfect. Awesome. I've had that trouble in the past. You guys can follow <laughs> uh, him at Rich Homie Flom. Nice handle, by the way. Thank you. And uh, of course, follow all of his work at Clips Nation SBN. And Robert, this is something I ask all of our guests. Will you be live tweeting on Saturday night during the game? Uh, Almost certainly, yeah. Excellent. We always ask our guests just so that our fans can follow you guys, get a perspective from the mind of an enemy fan, so to speak. Just kidding, but mm. seriously. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Robert... Uh, let's, let's talk about some late breaking news. The clips are, are limping into this one. Potentially, uh, Danilo Gallinari is out again tonight against the thunder with that strain glute. He joins Patrick Beverly out with a sore right knee. Um, again, for all of our listeners, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday night. Uh, so you guys, I think are playing the thunder tomorrow and then the Pelicans are on the second night of the back-to-back, but here we are on Thursday. And then of course, there's also, uh, I'm going to give this my best shot, Mios Teledosic, I hope, uh, <laughs> who has been out since the second game of the season with plantar fasciitis. And now uh, I just saw a report that Austin Rivers has mm-hmm. also tweaked his ankle. And according to you guys' reports in their place, we should see uh, some version of Jawan Whiter, Sandarius Thornwell in the starting lineup, as well as Wes Johnson. CJ Williams has been called up from the G League. Uh, first of all, do you think any of these guys I mentioned before return by Saturday on the second night of a back-to-back? And secondly, just how much damage, if they don't, can we expect from these youngsters? Um, so first of all, Gallinari is out and Beverly is out. Uh, the report said that Beverly wasn't going to be back for the road trip. He's back in LA. He just got his knee drained. So he's not going to be in New Orleans. And Gallinari, uh, they said, expect out about a week. I don't know if it's a week from now or a week from when he got injured. But either way, uh, he's probably not going to play in New Orleans. And then Austin Rivers is questionable for Friday. So I'm guessing there's there's a pretty good shot that he plays Saturday. So it really depends on how severe his ankle sprain is and how much uh, Doc wants to push him and how much Austin is able to push through the pain. As for the young guys, Sundarius Thornwell has actually been in the Clippers rotation since Teodosic got injured and uh, a defensive player already, which is super rare for a rookie, as I'm sure you all know. Uh, off ball and, and help, it's a little bit shakier, but on ball, man on man, Doc had him guarding Dame Lillard and TJ McCollum when the Clippers played the Blazers, uh, which is pretty impressive for a rookie. Jawan Evans has not gotten much of a look yet. Clippers fans have kind of been pushing for him since he looked really good in Summer League and in the last game of preseason where he just torched the Lakers. But Summer League and preseason are are not the regular season. And uh, Doc really hasn't given him any real minutes so far. But he's going to play because if Beverly is out, there's really no true point guard on the roster, especially if Rivers is out. But Rivers isn't really a point guard either. So I'd expect Evans to get 15 to 20 minutes. And he also has very good defensive tools, and he was a good defender in college, but it's very tough for rookie point guards to be great on offense right away, especially since he hasn't gotten any real minutes. So I would not expect them to do much damage. If anybody, I would be very worried about Lou Williams, who's probably going to get 35-plus minutes, especially if Rivers is out, uh, because Lou Williams has been playing really well this year. Not on defense, of course, but offensively, he's been fantastic. And he's actually looked really good meshing with uh, DeAndre Jordan and Willie Reed, who are the Clippers' two primary big men. He's been getting them a lot of, like, lob dunks and hitting floaters um, because they're they're clearing room around the basket. So I'd be pretty wary of him. I'd suspect even if Rivers isn't playing, Williams might still come off the bench just so that the bench has some playmaking ability. Uh, but that would really, really weaken the Clippers starters. They'd be starting Evans, Jawan Evans, Sundarius Thornhill, both rookies. Neither of them can really shoot along with Wes Johnson. So it would really be a whole lot of Blake Griffin if that was the case. And uh, it would be very tough for them to beat the Pelicans, I think. Now, you guys are listening to the Bird Rice on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio, and we are talking to Robert Flom. Robert, the Clips are now, I believe, 5-5. Five and five. Uh, mm-hmm. They came out of the gates uh, smoking at 4-0, but they've lost 5 of 6. 
However, those losses uh, came against some pretty good teams, including the Spurs, the Dubs, the Grizzlies, the Heat, who finished last year 31-10 despite their record this year, and also the Pistons, who I think currently, uh, as of today, are slotted second in the East. Of Mm -hmm. course, the Cavaliers are struggling, but at any rate, all these losses come against teams who are playing well. Are are the Clippers a playoff team? Uh, what what is what do the indicators tell you based on what you've seen in the first three weeks? I think they are, with the big question mark being health. We knew going into the season that almost everybody in the rotation is relatively injury prone, with DeAndre Jordan being the only real exception. And as long as they're healthy, I think they're pretty good. Uh, missing Teodosic, who's their best pure point guard in terms of passing and playmaking was a a really big blow. Even though this is his first year in the NBA, he's technically a rookie. He was transformative in preseason in terms of his effect on getting guys open shots. So missing him is is a big blow. And then, as you said, they've played good teams. They haven't been playing particularly well, but fans have been freaking out. I think they had raised expectations after that 4-0 start. And realistically, they're always going to be like, a somewhat over 500 team, just depending on injuries and who they're playing. So I'm not super worried yet. Their defense has fallen off after being by far the best in the NBA for the first few games, but I was expecting that. They don't really have the players to make a top five defense, but as long as Beverly and DeAndre Jordan stay healthy, they should have a pretty good defense. And as long as Blake Griffin is healthy, they should be able to score at least a reasonable amount of points. So I'm not super worried about their long-term prospects. In the short term, it's just been a lot of missed shots, especially from Gallinari, even before he was out injured. Uh, So I still have them slated as a playoff team, but I definitely understand the arguments uh, against them as well. Well, we're definitely excited not to have those two guys specifically in the lineup, Gallo and uh, Patrick Beverly, as they always play us really tough uh, in Denver and in Houston. Uh, let's let's go over some numbers, Robert. The Clippers' defense, uh, according to TeamRankings.com, it seemingly gets worse as the game goes on. In the second, <laughs> they're eighth. In the third, they're thirteenth, and they're seventeenth in the fourth. Uh, they're bad at stopping the fast break. They're bad at causing turnovers, and teams tend to move the ball well against them, uh, as it indicates here, with a, a high assist-to-turnover ratio. However, they shut down the paint. Uh, I'm sure that's attributed to Jordan and Blake Griffin. They rebound better than almost anybody in the league. Uh, and the Pelicans, likewise, get most of their points in the paint and in the mid-range game with AD and Boogie. How would you expect the Clippers to match up with the Pels, two superstars on defense? We seemingly play a similar style of basketball. And... Uh, how how badly have uh, role players hurt the Clippers defensively? Role players, the Clippers are one of those teams. I'm sure every team feels like this, but the Clippers are definitely one of those teams where it feels like role players always kill them. There's always some guy that seems to be underscouted where they don't know what their game is, where they get hot from the court, if they're good cutters or not. So I definitely say role players hurt the Clippers a pretty fair amount. As for matching up with... Uh, Boogie and Davis it's just a tough matchup for anybody the Clippers probably do it better than most teams honestly because Jordan is such a great defender and Blake even though he's not awesome on help and he's not super good switching out he's a pretty good post defender and he's he's reasonably quick I would expect to see Blake on Anthony Davis to start the game and then Jordan on Boogie just because Boogie is so big and physical I think he could bully Blake around a little bit more but honestly, it'll be switched up. I think Jordan will see time on both of them. Honestly, if Gallinari was healthy, I would have honestly expected to see him on Anthony Davis and allow Blake to get a softer matchup, maybe on one of the Pelicans' uh, weaker shooters um, who can't really take guys off the dribble as well. But since that's not the case, I would expect Blake to have to guard one of Davis or Boogie, and I I don't know if that's going to go well. And as for the as game goes along, a lot of that their defense getting weaker, I should say, as the game goes along. The Clippers have definitely looked kind of fatigued as in in various points of the season. There are games where they don't always look like they're in great conditioning. And part of that, as you mentioned, is they're horrible in transition. They don't force turnovers and they've been missing a lot of threes, which leads to fast break opportunities. So then the opponent gets a lot of transition opportunities and they have to run back and defend time and again, and eventually they get tired and then it leads to them jogging up the court and easy dunks on the other end or threes. And then the floodgates open. So 
the Clippers really need a good do a good job of getting back in transition. And I know the the Pelicans. I'm I'm assuming play a bit slow because of their big men, but they still need to be wary because those guys can really move for big men. And uh, it's it's gonna be a tough matchup. I'm not gonna lie. If the Clippers were healthy, I had them as like slight favorites going into this one. But right now, I'd I'd be pretty skeptical of a win to be honest. The Pelicans do like to push the pace this season. They're somewhere okay. around the top 10, and they were uh, even with DeMarcus Cousins' addition last year after the All-Star break. However, a lot of fans in New Orleans and bloggers like myself kind of, uh, they, they question the fit of Alvin Gentry with this, you know, mm-hmm. two-headed monster lineup. Um, and, and a lot of people do suggest that the Pelicans might be a bit more successful at slowing things down. Uh, however, Boogie's in much better shape this year. Anyway, uh, we're here to get to get your insight. Uh, by the way, you guys are listening to the Bird Rise on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio, and we are talking to Robert Flom. Uh, I want to talk about Blake Griffin a little bit more. We just talked about him defensively a little bit. But um, this offseason, after the Clippers traded Chris Paul away and extended Blake Griffin on five years, $176 million, I'm sure a lot of you guys were super nervous, not because mm-hmm. of his potential, but just because of his, his checkered injury history. Um, and this was a great opportunity for him to take a step forward. I think it was in 2014 when he was a, a top five MVP candidate. Um, this year so far, he's averaging 23, nine and five. He's shooting really well, 47% from the floor, 40% from three. Uh, he's your only high volume three point shooter uh, left who the Pelicans will probably see on Saturday. Um, talk a little bit about what you've seen from Blake this, this off season. And do you think he's ready to be that MVP candidate that a lot of people uh, were hoping he'd be heading into this season? So I think the three point addition is, is real. We saw it a little bit down the stretch last year. He was taking quite a few more threes. I think he's taking around three a game, but I don't think anybody could have foreseen what he's done so far this year, which is he's taking them off the dribble. He's hitting them on step backs. He's taking them against tall defenders out on the perimeter, shooting them over real length. And I just was not expecting that to happen. I thought we'd see more like it was at the end of last season with around three a game instead of he's shooting around five, I believe. So that's been a real surprise. And that outside shooting, as as Clippers fans have long hoped, really opened up his drives to the basket as well, which is why he's getting to the free throw line more. And he's having a few more of those thunderous dunks that we haven't seen in recent years because the lanes are opening up a little bit. So he's been really good on that end. I would say that at this point in his career, it's tough to see him really finishing behind the MVP race, not because he's not great, he is, but just because there's so many guys who just would appear to be ahead of him. Steph Curry is having another ridiculous season. LeBron James at his age. Uh, Giannis. Some of the younger guys are going to be in there too. Durant, even though he's he's on the Warriors, all those guys are are ahead of Blake. So unless the Clippers really really have a great season, I'm thinking like 50 plus wins. I just don't see him finishing that high. But he, I think he's he's reestablished himself as around a top 10 player somewhere in that nine to 12 or 13 range. And a lot of people before the season had him not in the top 20, which is pretty crazy. But I will say that one thing that people kind of overlooked a bit is that when Chris Paul left, everybody was like, Oh, the Clippers are going to be in this freewheeling offense. Now they're going to move the ball a lot. And that was kind of heightened in preseason when they did do that, which had something to do with Tate Osage. But Blake Griffin himself is kind of a ball stopper, maybe not as much as Chris Paul, but he likes to get the ball, survey the court, take a few dribbles, get into the post, then reposition. And that takes a lot of time off the clock. And it's time when the ball isn't really moving. So I would say that that's been a bit disappointing that he hasn't made quicker decisions, but it's hard to be critical when he's been so good. He's really been the only Clipper getting things going on the offensive end on a consistent basis. Outside of actually Lou Williams, he's been really good, but is much more limited in other facets of his game. And Blake Griffin's always been a killer against AD. Uh, Although the Pelicans have played the Clippers pretty well the past three years, Mm -hmm. uh, Blake Griffin is just so big and physical and strong and just I just have memories of him backing AD into the paint all the way up to the rim. Although AD has put on, I think, somewhere around like 20 pounds of muscle this year. So hopefully the matchup goes a little bit better. Uh, The next thing I wanted to talk about was DeAndre Jordan. And I know uh, famously in the past, uh, he's been pulled late in games due to his free throw shooting. 
And also, I'm sure the Pelicans' number one uh, target in the game is going to be to get him into foul trouble. Um, and the Pelicans have actually been in the top 10 this year at drawing fouls due to Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Often, you know, we get uh, the opposing teams into the penalty with like, you know, four, sometimes seven minutes to spare in a quarter. Uh, who do you guys have behind DeAndre Jordan? I see Montrez Harrell. You guys have Sam Decker. You've got Willie Reed. Who is going to be your first guy off the bench who's going to try to slow down Boogie? So Doc so far has been playing Willie Reed as the backup center almost exclusively. In the past few games, he's given Montrez Harrell a few minutes in the rotation, mostly in the second half to supplement Reed. But I'd say Reed is a much better defender. He's also a bigger and more physical player on the defensive end than Harrell. So if DJ gets into foul trouble, then I'm guessing we'll see Reed, who really both he and Harrell in different ways are kind of like D. DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin light. Harrell can play center, but he's kind of small and he doesn't really have great rim protection instincts. I I really like him because of what he provides on the offensive end, actually, because he's super energetic around the offensive glass and he he's really good at rolling to the rim. He has better hands than Reed, I think, and he's a more explosive leaper, but my guess is that Doc will stick with uh, with Reed because that's who's been getting the minutes, and I think he's a better matchup against Boogie. But honestly, when Jordan isn't playing the Clippers' defense, nose dives, and especially the rebounding. I mean, he's one of the best rebounders in the league. So if he gets into foul trouble, it's, it's going to be a really long night for the Clippers. It might be anyway, but Reed and Harrell have been good. Uh, they're just they're just not DeAndre Jordan. There aren't many people. There aren't many players who are, but they are not uh, at that level or even close, really. Robert, this is great stuff. Thank you so much, man. And go ahead now and wrap up for us. Uh, give us a prediction of what you think is ultimately going to end up occurring on Saturday night. I think the Pelicans win. The Clippers are going to be on a back to back. They're playing the Thunder, who on on Friday, you know, who admittedly haven't been playing super well to start the season, but are still a really bad matchup for the Clippers, especially if Gallinari and Beverly aren't playing because those are the two best defenders on uh, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony, and probably Paul George. Honestly, though, the West Johnson is good defensively, but they're going to be off a really rough back to back and. It's going to be the third game of a road trip. Morale might be down due to all the injuries and to what I'm guessing will be two, two, uh, two bad losses. So I don't have much hope. I'm guessing Pelicans win something like 110 to 95-ish. Um, the Clippers' offense will be hurt a lot by Gallinari being out. And, I mean, it, a lot does depend on Rivers playing because he's been quite good this year. But... I think it would be very tough for the Clippers to come out with a win. I think the Pelicans will pile up points, and I think most of the second half will be not quite a blowout, but in that very comfortable team lead for the the Pelicans. We're going to be leading like 12 to 16 points for most of the second half. That would be my prediction. Wouldn't that be such a delight having Austin Rivers back at the Smoothie King Center lighting us up? Uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, thank you so much to Kevin, Ollie, and our guest Robert Flom for joining us today. I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Again, you guys can listen to us on all of your Google Home and Amazon smart devices. Now, if you have a second, search us on your podcast app and give us a rating. We appreciate all you guys' help. Uh, thank you so much to Trevor Ritchie for working so diligently on that. And Robert, uh, again, thank you for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners in regard to some of the work you've got coming up? I mentioned earlier that he has a piece up right now talking about some of these injuries. Is there anything else you hope our, our listeners take a look at? Uh, right now, I've, I've actually been really busy. I haven't written that much recently. Um, I wrote something at the start of the year, actually. This is back in January about Blake Griffin. Uh, if you just search my name and then Blake Griffin, it'll probably come up. But I wrote a really long article about how he's evolved in the NBA and how the NBA has evolved around him. And it could be an interesting read going going into this matchup where Davis and Boogie are two other premier NBA players who have kind of evolved over the years as the NBA has shifted more to a perimeter-oriented game. And you'll you'll see that how much Blake has evolved since I wrote that, where I was complaining about he wasn't taking any threes and now he's taking a lot. So that and then just keep an eye on injuries because if Rivers plays, that would, that would be a pretty big help. But we'll have more on that probably tomorrow, I'd say. 
And you guys can find his work at Clips Nation SBN. And of course, you can follow him at Rich Homie F L O M, where he will be live tweeting on Saturday if you want some uh, insight from the mind of the enemy. Uh, thank you so much again. That's it for now, you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll have content coming at you every day or so, previewing these things and recapping the night uh, before, uh, sometimes with Trevor and Travis, sometimes with me. Just uh, keep dialed in, uh, subscribe, retweet if you can, and let's go, pals. Thanks for listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Bird Rights NBA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at The Bird Rights for all the best coverage on the Pels. And if you really like the show and you want to show us even more love, give us a rating and review on iTunes by searching The Bird Rights. Your support has gotten us up to 45,000 downloads thus far, a spot on Nothing But Net Radio here on the Dash, and a feature on the front page of Blog Talk Radio. Now, we'll be with you guys all season, keeping you up to date on all the latest news on your favorite team. Let's go, pals! Geico presents yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi! So, about the kitchen... Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. (laughs) Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. GEICO presents, yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.